Sabrina joined Techstars as the head of people operations where she scaled the culture to over 250 people across more than 20 countries globally. Now as the head of talent at Techstars, Sabrina advises Techstars portfolio startups to build successful teams. And that's actually how I first connected with Sabrina in 2019 when she advised us at Zeno on how to improve our hiring processes and using her insights in just a month we were able to go from making zero new hires in a month to three new hires in a month and that's why i'm super pumped to have sabrina on the podcast today so that we can all learn from her how to become better recruiters better remote managers as founders and as team leaders it's great to have you on the show sabrina thanks so much for having me i am very happy to be here it's great to get reconnected great so i mean with everything that's going on in the world right now i mean i'd love to know how you and your family are doing Oh thanks for thanks for asking. We are we're we're doing well. It's um it's a little challenging. We've got an 8 month old at home, so we had sort of just gotten into a a rhythm of daycare and and figuring out life as a as a family of of 3 and um and then covid hit and so we we now have had her at home with us both working full time for the last uh 3 months. So it was felt impossible at first but luckily i think my husband and i have gotten into a good rhythm and she's still alive and doing great and i haven't killed my husband nor has he killed me so i think we're <laughs> think we're good take it yeah. as a win uh, that must have been a crazy journey because i know having a baby is a life changing time right and those first 5 months would have anyways been getting used to a new routine and then you have to do it all over again Yeah, for sure. But I mean, the the bright side is we get way more time with her and so it's been really fun to be able to to see her learn and and grow and and all of that. So, looking at the bright side, but definitely a chaotic few months, of course. <laughs> cool. So, uh kind of getting to the topic, right? So, like in your role, you get to work with like Techstars is invested in almost 2000 startups now and your role is to advise all of them to build a great culture to build great teams. So when you kind of start off that process and you start talking to a startup founder like me, uh, what's the initial thought process that you get when you say, hey, we should build a great culture? Yeah, great question. And it's, um, it's it's interesting being in a role with such a large portfolio where we are really uh focused on on trying to help everyone as much as we can and i think a lot of the the resources that we build are um you know built for scale built to distribute so i'll i'll share some with you after this call but i think that you know foundationally when we talk about building culture early on Um really where I like to start is by just telling founders not to overthink it too much. I think when we think about this idea of building company culture it can sort of feel fluffy for lack of a better word or just like this this out there topic that's disconnected from what you really need to accomplish as a business and you know it, but it's so important when you are talking about scaling your team and growing your team for the first time because you really want to make sure that you have that values alignment early on and it has such an impact on the success of your team down the line and so you know often when i'm having initial conversations with founders they are just about to similar to where you were just about to sort of embark on the journey of scaling their team a bit for the first time and it might be 
the first two hires, it might be the first 10 or 15 hires. Um, and what I sort of advise is if you haven't thought much about company culture yet, um, don't overthink it, just get your leadership team in a room. Uh, sit down for just, just start with two hours and ask yourself some really key important questions about um, who you are as a business and what's important to you as a business and as people. Um, so a few examples of the questions I might encourage you to ask in a meeting like that is, uh, what values are critical to the success of your business? So stepping away from you as people based on what you do as a business, um, what's important? Like this is where customer centric often comes in or uh, like the, the do more faster mentality. You need to move fast to be competition, whatever those might be. Um, think about that piece. And then start to look around the room and think, you know, what do you value in the people around you? When you think about the times that you work really well together, what is it that helps you to work really well together? What's sort of foundational underneath that? Um, also think on the flip side, when you've seen employees that haven't really worked out with your culture or even just interacted with mentors or others, um, what values don't you want to have in your business? Um, what are the issues that, that you've seen that you really want to avoid or sort of personality types that don't work as well? Um, and then the last one I would say is kind of a fun exercise of take a step back and picture your business, like close your eyes and picture your business in five years. Um, what does it look like? Are you in an office? Are you distributed? Um, what types of conversations are you having? Uh, what types of people are around the table or around the Zoom calls? Um, and have really a descriptive conversation about, you know, what you envision success looking like, you know, five years out or what that could look like and, and then take a step back and pull out, okay, based off all of those conversations, ideally you have a whiteboard or some sticky notes or something on the adjectives that are coming to mind, um, try to pull out, you know, at least three, but at most five uh, core values from those discussions. And, you know, I think those are the things that you look for in people that you're bringing onto the team, but also the expectations that you have for the people that you're working with. So I feel like that conversation is a really good starting point to build foundation before you scale your team. Got it. So I think like what I really took away from that is culture is very simply like formed on three very basic things, right? First, how do you currently like working with your team? Second, what do you dislike about working with your team or people with whom you, you know, maybe you had to let go or you parted ways with? And the third, how do you visualize your company working together in the future? And if you just broadly answer those three questions and you put it all together, that's kind of your company culture, right? Yeah, I think, um, I think that's correct. I think focusing on... Um, you know, the only addition I would make to that is just what's what's critical to the success of your business beyond just, you know, the the people that are working in it and how does that tie into those values. But but yeah, I think it's it's really those few things, just super basic. Got it. So an example of what's something that's really important is like how Techstars has a default value for all its startups, do more faster. 
because as a startup you need to move faster than any large company so they encourage you to move like that so would that be an example of something that's important to the company and then of course there can be very specific versions of that based on the niche and the particular business you're in right Yep, exactly. I think do more faster is a great example. Fun fact, do more faster is actually not a Techstars core value, uh, but it is a value that we talk about with our um, with our portfolio companies, given the stage that they that they're at. I think a great example for Techstars would be network over hierarchy, um, because we are such a distributed organization and we rely on the power of networks. Um, so placing the value in the individual and the network over the sort of hierarchical, uh, typical uh, way that you might get in touch with people is something that's really important to us as a business um, that we've sort of played into our values over time. So, uh, just to understand more about that. So you said do more faster is a value you encourage for Techstars startups, but you don't follow it yourself, right? To a lot of listeners that might feel hypocritical right now. So, but I'm sure there's a reasoning behind that. So I'd love to know your thought process behind that. Yeah, no, I think that is that is a great question. And I'm sure that David Cohen could probably speak to it a little better than I can. Um, you know, I think it it really comes down to, to stage in a lot of ways. And I think one thing, Pranav, we've talked about beforehand is not being afraid to challenge your values as you grow and scale as a business. Um, and so, you know, the sentiment of, of do more faster is you're an early stage startup to find product market fit to figure out who your customers are, all of that like requires really jumping in with both feet and moving quickly. And while at Techstars, we, we do want to and we do move fast as a culture, the work that we're doing is also impacting thousands of startups annually. So we do need to, at our scale, step back and be really purposeful about the practices that we put in place. And so while we might encourage that, do more faster mentality in our programs and for the startups that we're working closely with, we think it's really important for us as an organization to be really intentional because of that network impact that we have um, all, on, on all of the companies that we work with. Got it. No, I think that absolutely makes sense. And I've kind of seen how our values at Zeno have also evolved over the years as the team size grows, as our focus changes. And I think that's a continuous process, right? It never stops. Yeah, for sure. And I think that being self-aware of those changes as a leader is really important and creating dialogue to be able to, to talk about sort of the different seasons of your business is really valuable. Cool. I think another really interesting thing that I find about Techstars is that you're 250 people across 20 different countries. And like you were telling me, even when you started, you were 30 people in eight different locations, right? So Techstars since day one has always been a remote company and it stayed remote throughout its lifetime. And I think the way the company's been built, it'll forever stay like that. So I'm sure over the years, you've had a lot of amazing learnings when it comes to building a remote company. And all of us have literally started just three months ago. So I'd love for you to share your learnings with all of us. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's been quite an incredible journey. I think that um, 
you know, when all of this happened a few months ago, I think we were very lucky that we had been set up, as you'd mentioned, as a distributed culture and organization. And we had a lot of these learnings over time that we'd started to put in place. And just, you know, looking at the moment at hand, I think one thing that was very valuable um, for us as an organization is while we are very distributed, we did have sort of a larger office in Boulder, Colorado with, uh, I want to say somewhere between 60 and 80 employees. So definitely some real density there. Um, and once all of those people were sort of forced remote, I think it created a lot more empathy across the organization because now everyone had this very level playing field. And so, you know, as we start to go back to offices and whatever the new normal is, I think in some ways I, I really love the the power that this has had to, to create that compassion and empathy across the organization for people who aren't um, in person and don't have that often. Um, going back to your original question on some of the learnings, um, you know, I think my, my biggest piece of advice for for building a distributed culture is that it's really all about listening to your team and, and trying new things to improve their day to day. I think it's it's very valuable to, to have humility and vulnerability as a leader and to know that um, nobody gets this right all of the time. Like you're, you're probably gonna cycle through seven different video conferencing softwares <laughs> before you find one that works right for your team you're probably going to have really frustrating meetings for some people. Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to have challenges with work-life balance and those things that come up. Um, but I think if you can create outlets to, um, to survey or to have discussions with, with people on your team to understand what are the little things that you could do to make their day-to-day -day a little bit better and try those things. And it could be, rotating meetings so that um, you have a certain percentage of your meetings in a different time zone. Um, it could be just making sure it's really easy and that you have a system for remote folks to chime into an in-person discussion. Um, I think culturally making sure that you don't have as much sort of quote-unquote water cooler talk as a leader, that you're living up to the fact that you want to have everyone's opinions in the meeting and you're not having side conversations. Um, so those are a few little examples, but I would say just really create outlets to be able to hear from the people on your team and just try new things. And sometimes you'll try something and it just flat out fails. Like it did not, it's the, it's the wrong software. It's the wrong way to ask questions. It's the wrong meeting structure. And don't be afraid to change in response to what you hear from your people and just say, hey, we tried that. We thought it was a good idea. We're going back to the next thing again. I think people really value being heard and knowing that you're trying. And we all know that this isn't easy and no one's perfect all the time. Got it. So I think you spoke a lot about trying different things and failures. Like I'd love it if you could share one of the failures that you've seen at Techstars or you tried something and it just absolutely blew apart. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think one thing that we, we really struggled to get the all hands meeting format right for the longest time. Um, for a while, we just, so we do weekly all hands meetings and have since, I mean, at least since I've been there, probably since the very beginning. So seven plus years. Um, 
we do weekly meetings and I remember when we were in Boulder, we used to all get together and we just sort of thought these meetings were starting to be a waste of time. We were like, these aren't like, we're not really covering much. It's just a quick check-in. Maybe we should get rid of them. Um, and so we almost got rid of the weekly all hands format, but we sent a quick survey out to the entire company. And what we realized was actually these meetings were so much more valuable to people that weren't sitting in Boulder every day. And so there was a huge learning there. Like we almost got rid of everyone's like touch point into the organization on a regular basis because we just, we didn't feel like a lot of conversation was happening or we thought the silence meant that it wasn't important and that wasn't at all the case. Um, so I guess we dodged a bullet on that one. Um, another thing that we used to do is we try to get as part of the all hands format, um, we try to get everyone together in a room, you know, once on Monday morning to kick off the all hands meeting, you know, knowing that we have people all over the world as well. And we'd have people start presenting and start sharing whatever their deep dive was for the all hands. Um, and we thought it was a great format because we managed to build some camaraderie in person and then also reach out to everyone else in the org. Uh, but what we found was if you're sitting on the other side of that and you're not in the room, all of the camaraderie that's happening in that one room in Boulder feels really uncomfortable to anyone that's not there and there would be these like fun side conversations that people were having in the room that you know folks sitting in berlin or sitting anywhere outside of boulder weren't able to have and so one learning that we had and this took us probably years to actually figure out and translate is a super simple thing but is if you're presenting for the all hands meeting you should be in a separate room so you should be in your own room dialed in just like anyone who's remote um, because then your audio is clearer, then you aren't having these funny side conversations that other people feel like they're missing out on. Um, and it's just a little thing that we, we thought made sense because when your whole leadership team is sitting in one location, it's hard to understand what it feels like when you're not there. My God, I can so relate to that right now. And I think the stories that you've spoken about, I think we've gone through both stories at Zeno. So I'm sure every startup feels the same. And literally one of the exact problems we've had is side conversations that would happen during our all hands at office. Other people outside would not be able to relate to it and they wouldn't feel great about it. And we were always looking for a solution. So thank you. Like uh, besides all of the listeners, it's definitely going to help us at Zeno when we even go back to office. Oh, good. It's, you know, it's hard to balance in-person culture with distributed culture. And very honestly, and if you have a quote unquote headquarters, but you also are a, a fairly distributed team, your in-person culture is likely going to have to take a little bit of a hit for you to become a fully distributed culture. Like you're, you're going to have to sacrifice a little bit of that camaraderie um, to be able to open up those moments to the rest of the team and make it more of an equal playing field for everyone in the organization, um, which I think is just really important to consider as you are looking at do I build a fully remote team or do I try to be headquartered in one location? Yeah, which I think kind of comes back to the question you said early on, how do I visualize my company being five years from today? And then the mm -hmm. decisions you take from today have to optimize for that. 
Exactly, exactly. And there are, I think, amazing things about being a fully distributed team. And I also think, you know, the we've been talking about the quote unquote future of work for years now. And then all of a sudden in, you know, in five weeks, the future of work is here and we're all online and we're all figuring it out at the same time. Um, and, you know, being distributed opens up a global talent pool. I think it, it opens up different ways to serve your business um, from a time zone perspective in really effective ways. It can in some ways lower costs, but, um, but it can be challenging for sure. And so I think just being prepared with how are you going to speak to those challenges and how are you going to build the culture that, that you want for your business um, in a distributed fashion, it's just really important to be intentional about that early on. So I think uh, one of the challenges we have as a remote team is building empathy for each other, right? Uh, it's a very mentally hard time for everyone at a company, right? So how do you build that well-being, that balance, right? Making people feel uncomfortable. I'm sure, uh, I mean, you literally run people ops across tech stars, but you manage people yourself as well, right? So how have you been personally manning, managing that change with the people that report to you? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's so uniquely challenging right now, because I think that you really just need to, you need to just drop your expectations for people, like whatever you think you would have expected for someone from someone from a performance standpoint, you should take it down at least three notches, like the, the impact that we're all feeling. Um, one, you can't even you can't even begin to understand, you know, what's impacting each individual personally. They may have so much going on in their lives that you're not aware of. And, and you know, I think there's also just the overwhelming sort of global impacts that we're, that we're all feeling and dealing with. And so, um, you know, I think it, it reminds me, I mean, this is uniquely challenging, but but one thing that, that I think about often is when I was um, in 2016, I actually moved from Colorado to Berlin um, to in my head of people role to really try and get a better sense of what is it like for everyone else in the business that's outside of the States and outside of Colorado. And that was my first time managing a team that was completely remote. Um, and one thing that I felt so acutely in that moment was that I just... I missed my team knowing who I was as a person. Like I missed them seeing me walk in in the morning, like with, with coffee spills all over my shirt and all frazzled. Like I missed that, those sort of funny connections that you make when someone gets to know you. Um, and I, what I realized was, especially for newer employees that I hadn't worked with long, or especially when I had to have hard conversations with employees, not having that baseline of personal understanding and just personal exposure made it so much harder because there just wasn't any trust there yet. You know, like the, the human connection piece was a little broken. It's really easy to pretend that you're doing great in an hour one-on-one -on -one every week, um, but you, you don't get to see someone in all of their human moments when you're working remote. And so it's hard to know, do I, do I trust this person? Does this person care about me as a human? And so one thing that I had to be really intentional about that I think has, has changed how I manage is 
lengthening one-on-one -on -one meetings and taking the first 10, 15 minutes of every one-on-one -on -one to really check in and talk about, like, ask someone about their weekend, ask them about their family, uh, you know, dig into how things are really going for those people. Um, we do, I regularly do green, yellow, red check-ins, which is just how are you doing personally and professionally? And so you could say, green green or green yellow and you can go into as much detail as you want but i find that it's a great way to just get a baseline from people without asking them to share more than they're comfortable with on where they're at right now as a human being and not just an employee and so you know when i when everything changed in the last three months that's been one of the the things that i've really been talking with well one of with my team is trying to have those purposeful check-ins and really see how people are doing personally but also when i'm advising founders and talking with them about this sudden shift to not seeing people in person is you really need to pay attention to mental health and wellness and you really need to just take the time even if it pushes work to the side to get to know where a person is at personally to know are you pushing them too hard? Um, how do you take a step back um, and develop that trust so that you have a foundation for that person to tell you, listen, things are really hard or I'm really struggling right now because without that foundation, it's so hard to have those conversations and those conversations are so critical to that person being successful and ultimately your business being successful. But uh, like, even though that all makes sense, sometimes as a manager, you think, why is it my responsibility to understand how this person is feeling, right? They get paid to come in and work. They do their job. They go back home. Why should I make that effort? Great question. Um, I think, you know, ultimately, when you have a foundation of trust with an employee, you will be more successful and they will be more successful. And in turn, that will help your business move quicker. Um, it is so you will have difficult performance management conversations with people. You should regularly, you should regularly give feedback. But if you're giving hard feedback to someone and you have no foundation of trust, it is so easy for that person to just sort of wash that away and just say like, oh, it's just Pranav, like he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> or, you know, um, or because they when you don't feel like someone genuinely cares about you personally or that you're aligned from a values perspective, going back to the company culture discussion, it's really easy to brush things off and to not take them seriously. But if you feel that your manager is sort of committed to helping you and even in hard moments wants you to be successful, you're going to be more engaged and push harder to help the company be successful. I mean, I forget the exact stat, I should know it off the top of my head, but one of the, the main drivers for if people stay or leave a company is the relationship that they have with their manager. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've been in the position where I've lost amazing people because I just haven't been that deeply connected with them. Um, you know, as much as I, I preach all of these things, I, I understand the, you know, the, the lessons and the failures that can come from um, not building those connections. And it's, it's so critical to driving your business forward. Got it. So why do you feel like knowing all of this, that in one of those instances, you personally failed to build that rapport? 
You know, I, I think it's a great question. I think that where I had, had gone wrong in this particular situation where I think I had someone really amazing on my team um, is I had just, I had personally had so much going on in my life at that point and so much transition that as much as I was really trying to be an effective manager and, and listening and creating space to have hard conversations, creating space to say, hey, if you're ever leaving, I want to know because I want to be able to help you um, and see all the opportunities here and if they could be a fit or whatever that might be. Um, I think I was a little wrapped in my, my own personal world um, and, and figuring that out. And so, you know, I, if there's anything I would have changed, I think it was having some of those direct conversations earlier to just say, hey, you're doing great work. I want you to know how valued you are here. Um, and I want you to know that I have your back in figuring out what's next here. Um, I want to talk about those steps. And so I think sometimes it's just setting a, I mean, we all get wrapped up in life and the challenges that are going on, but even just setting a, a monthly conversation that is on the calendar with your direct reports to talk about their development and to just dedicate to whatever they want to talk about, whatever they want to accomplish in their careers. Because with all of everything going on in the world, just having that checkpoint to have that open conversation, I think is really valuable. Got it. So if you feel like you had it pre-scheduled in the calendar, maybe you would have gotten up to it. I think so. I think it just being intentional about creating that space. And then I think, you know, that's just a very tactical tool. But, you know, when people are doing great work, make sure that you tell them. Like when, when someone's knocking it out of the park, make sure that you let them know that they're highly valued. Um, and that more than just them being highly valued, that you're you're there for them and you want to understand what's important to them next in their career so that you can be an advocate for that um, within the business and you can spot out those opportunities and get them more involved with those opportunities um, as they as they sort of come about. Very clear. So another really interesting topic, right? So as a founder till last year, I didn't even know there was a thing called people ops. So as a startup founder, how should one think about people ops and when do you think a startup should hire their first people ops leader? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think about people operations as really a function to help you keep the pulse on your business. And I think to help you ensure you're, you're sort of operating the business with integrity across a number of different fronts. And so I think that if you have a great people ops person, that's what they can help you to do. They can sort of provide those checks and balances so that as you as a leader are making difficult decisions about your business, you have someone who you can sit down with who has a pulse on what's happening organizationally, and they can help you see those different angles or perspectives that maybe you might not be seeing yourself, um, because it's impossible for all of us to see all of the angles all the time. And so I think, you know, great people ops leadership is is being able to be that that really strong partner to the CEO and to the to the leadership team to be able to to have that perspective, um, you know, 
beyond that, that's sort of the, the highest level, maybe fluffier piece of it. You know, people operations is making sure that your people are taken care of properly, making sure that there's equity in the organization in terms of how people are being treated, that there's consistency in how people are being treated. Um, so everything from compensation and benefits to outlets for talking about promotions to having hard performance management discussions, um, it's, it's really the function that helps you help your people be more successful day to day. Um, and the nice thing about people operations is it's not that it's, it should be deeply connected to the business, but in some ways it's a little bit of an objective lens on the business because the first priority for people operations is looking at sort of the, the people in the organization for lack of a better way to put it. Um, so it helps bring that objective perspective. Um, it also really, you know, a strong people operations function is effectively recruiting and bringing in new team members. So they help you live those values that you put in place originally by making sure that, you know, every person that's coming in the door is screened on those things and those conversations are happening, which let's face it, when a business is moving quickly is really hard for for every founder and every manager to do on their own. Oh, and you'd asked what, uh, when to hire people ops yes. for the first time. Um, I would say no earlier really than 30 employees. I think around 30 employees and continuing to grow is when I'd advise is a, a good point to consider bringing in people operations. Um, for a few reasons, I think it's that, that scale is, you know, a point at the uh, culturally within an organization where you're going to start to bring in this, this next wave of employees who weren't around when the company was founded and who are maybe going to have different and challenging perspectives that they funnel into the organization. And so it's a good, it's a good time to make sure there is a pulse on the existing 30 and there is understanding that can be translated as you scale to say that next 30 or however it may, may be. Um, I think also from a, from a legal and compliance standpoint, there's just more complexity at that point. Um, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot of reporting and things that need to be done. Um, so it just sort of sets you up that before you get to that point, you have foundation there uh, to help you scale. Got it. Cool. So I think uh, one of the other points that you spoke about is how having a people ops leader helps you bring on board great talent and hiring is something that's extremely, extremely hard for startups, right? You're competing against all the big companies uh, who can hire all the best developers in the world. Right? Uh, so how do you think as a founder, uh, one should think about making hires, especially senior hires? Yeah. Um, great question. Again, of course, uh, <laughs> I would say, um, you know, a few things. I think that one, an important thing to note is in this market, I think startups have a real pretty amazing competitive advantage. Um, unfortunately, we, we are in a bit of a downturn and that makes things more difficult, but there is an incredible amount of amazing talent that is on the market right now that was not on the market three months ago. And I think as a funded startup that is growing and has an amazing mission, you're going to be able to bring people in that might not in a sort of previous career instance been 
as interested or as willing to, to move into a startup. And so I think know that, that right now is a moment where you should be bullish about what you can offer employees in terms of the mission and vision of the business because there are great people on the market. Um, I think when it comes to thinking about senior hires, a few things. Um, one, always step back and kind of start with why when you're you're thinking about making a hire. Um, it's, I think, one mistake I often see is you had one board meeting and the board member was like, I think you need a head of marketing and the founders just like sure they know more than I do so I'll hire a head of marketing <laughs> but haven't actually you haven't actually personally stepped back to think okay what are the like what is the scope of the next six to nine months look like and if I were to bring someone on what would they truly be focused on and and what would we what impact would we hope this person would have in the next you know, six to 12 months of the business. And oftentimes what you're feeling when you want to make an immediate or a more senior hire is that there's just a really big fire that needs to be put out in the business. And your mind goes to, we need someone brilliant at this to come in on board long-term. But what often happens is you bring in that person, they put out the fire, and then you realize the day-to-day -day work is actually just a, a lot more junior or it's still flexing and changing so dramatically that you don't need to have someone that senior on board yet. And so, you know, we actually have a recruiting guidebook that, that I'd, I'd love to share as, as something that you can share with other companies that, that helps you take a step back, start with why, think about the work and consider is this really a full-time hire or is this maybe an advisor or a contractor that we could bring in for a short period of time? So start with why and be purposeful. And then I also really think that values alignment with your team is so important. Um, I think oftentimes when someone maybe more senior comes in to interview with a startup, um, everyone has their own opinion of what that person should be working on and what success looks like in that person's role. So if you're going to hire someone, just take the time to sit down for 30 minutes and talk with that team about what you're really hoping to accomplish in bringing this person in so that everyone that meets with that person is aligned. Um, and then the last thing I would say is just, uh, people are attracted to interesting challenges and they're attracted to passion. And so be bullish about what it is that your organization can offer them from a career standpoint. And that likely won't be being able to compete from a cash comp standpoint with some other larger organizations. You just can't. Um, but where you can really compete is with, you know, what's the interesting challenge that your business is solving? Um, why are you so passionate about what it is that you're building? Um, what are you excited for that person to contribute and bring to the table and to challenge you with? Um, and those things, I think, really drive the right people that are startup minded into your organization. So don't, um, don't focus so much on the I can't pay as much as Google. You can't. Um, but what you can do is offer them an amazingly challenging and amazingly exciting opportunity to build a business. And that comes with more risk, but it also comes with more upside as well. Got it. I think fun. we could literally do a whole nother podcast on people ops and recruiting. Uh, but to kind of take a step back and move this to towards wrapping up, like, 
what's your favorite book to read on company culture? That's a great question. Um, I guess there's, there's two books I'd recommend, and I don't know if they're quote unquote exactly company culture books, but I think that they're great management books. Um, Radical Candor, I think, is a really amazing uh, management book. I think it does an incredible job of breaking down what some people might think to be a very complicated management philosophy into a really tactical way to approach management um, that I think helps people to be successful within a business. So Radical Candor is one. And then um, there's a book called The Coaching Habit, which I'm blanking on the name of the author right now. Um, It came out a few years ago. It's a really amazing book uh, that's focused on um, trying to pull managers away from just advising people on what to do and becoming a roadblock, um, but really just developing skills to listen and challenge the people that you work with um, to help them up level and solve for themselves. Um, And that's a book that I just, I really love. I think it has some some great, very tactical solutions to thinking about management and questioning and coaching. Um, So those would be two that I'd encourage. Got it. Thank you for sharing those. And finally, like if after listening to all of this, people could take away only one thing, right? To build a super team, to build a great culture. What would you want that one thing to be? I would say that uh, being self-aware and vulnerable as a manager shows immense strength. So especially in a time where there's so much going on in the world and for people personally, um, showing vulnerability as a leader, I think is so much more important than it ever has been. And so, you know, trying to, to let go of the idea that you always have to be right and replace it with the idea that you should always be curious um, and you should always be be honest about where you're at um, would be, you know, my best advice, you know, be vulnerable, be curious with the people that you work with and, and about their experiences and use that curiosity to build a great business. What a note to end the podcast on, like always be vulnerable. And instead of thinking I have to always be right, always be curious. Like I love that. Awesome. Yes. And thank you so much for sharing all of your insights uh, on the podcast today. Like I personally learned so many things about how we have to look at culture as an experimental framework. Keep trying, be open to failing, be vulnerable. Uh, I learned things about communicating better as a manager in the remote world, right? Uh, Kind of you shared thoughts about how you can build the culture from scratch in just two hours by answering four simple questions. And the most simple thing to make your culture better as a company and make your team culture better as a company is just to ask people what you can do to make their day better. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much again for sharing all of those insights. Yeah, of course. It was so wonderful to get to to talk about all of this. And I think such an important discussion to be having right now. So, so yeah, it was, it was wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Also as a thank you, uh, Sabrina is going to be sharing with all listeners uh, exclusive content from Techstars for all of us to become better managers and better recruiters. Of course. Yeah. Super happy to share. Yes. Thank you. And we hope to have you back on the show again. For sure. Can't wait. Thank you so much for having me.